Welcome to WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. I'm WMUR political director, Adam Sexton, and we're returning to our Candidate Cafe again in this episode. Through this series, we're looking to learn more about the candidates themselves and what makes them tick. In this episode, you'll hear some highlights from Joe Sestak's back and forth with voters at Manchester's Airport Diner. Then I'll chat with the former congressman on some hot topics of the day. Thanks for listening, and be sure to leave a rating and a review of this podcast after the episode. We'd really appreciate it. No need for Joe Sestak to see the menu for Candidate Cafe. The retired three-star admiral doesn't eat during the day on the campaign trail. I'm not going to eat because I don't eat. I get up, I run 5.30, and I uh, come back, and I have coffee, and I don't eat until I go home the last session about 11 at night or so. That self-discipline was honed in the Navy. Sestak served 30 years and says on the open ocean, survival and success depend on good judgment. The Navy lives on the commons of the seas. Everybody owns the seas. When the Army fights, they own that territory and the Soviet Union's coming towards it. If they cross on, it's black and white. For us, everybody owns the seas. An Iranian aircraft, fighter craft, overflew me once in the Persian Gulf, a combat aircraft. Do I shoot or not? They have the right of overflight the airs and the seas. Sestak says his family's toughest fighter is his teenage daughter, who has beaten brain cancer twice. We were there in Children's Hospital after the military hospital couldn't get the brain cancer and told us she only had about 90, maybe a few more days, weeks after that. We were able to take her to Mass General Children's Hospital and save her. There's three things that work. One is the prayers, the wonderful medical care we got, and then this bracelet right here she gave me the night before her first brain operation. It's fallen apart a couple times, so only about three quarters of the pieces are the original one with her name on it, you know, four years old. No matter where he goes or what he does, Sestak says he always takes the same basic approach. The accountability is when doing it when it matters, not when it's easy. Adam Sexton, WMUR News 9. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know. So, Admiral, thanks you. Thank you for joining us for Candidate Cafe. What were some of your favorite moments here? This is a little atypical, you know, not a lot of policy. It's more about the candidates. What did you like? The way they drew me back into my own life. I mean, there were stories I was telling that I hadn't thought about, and yet I think actually formed part of how I am today. I mean, principles. Take me back to the Naval Academy and an incident that happened there that shaped me. I mean, that's what I was taking with the questions. And, and I think it just comes back that, you know, we all, and there was all sorts here, we all have more in common <laughs> than in differences. And I really also walked away with that. Mm -hmm. Because when I talked about my experiences, there was a lot of nodding like this. And the questions that came at me had to do that, yeah, I, I, I kind of have an answer for that in terms of commonality of understanding what you're asking. You talk a lot about an honor code here, uh, and people were transposing that under the situation in Washington. What's your position on what the House is doing right now in terms of impeachment? Uh, obviously dealing with the president's uh, interactions with the president of Ukraine. Now we're seeing uh, the president talk about China as well. The commander in chief and the president of the United States to actually reach out, let's take the latest incident, of a communist country that has been stealing $300 billion a year from us in intellectual property, that actually incarcerates millions of Muslim Uyghur citizens, and has actually wrested command of the seas away from the United States Navy in the Western Pacific. 
to be asked by the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States, to intervene in our most blessed sacristy of fair and free elections? There has to be a limit upon what Mr. Trump does in the presidency of asking foreign countries to intervene when that country has an authoritarian rule of law. I defend it this nation's democratic rule of law, and there's no way we should be asking someone to intervene from that. There needs to be a limit upon the abuse of the presidency and what is being asked of foreign countries to do. Is the investigation that's being, and the inquiry that's being done by the House of Representatives, they have no choice. It's a constitutional duty. If there is compelling reason or some evidence that the Commander-in-Chief has reached out to a foreign country, beginning with Ukraine, to interfere in our judicial system. But they should do it in a nonpartisan way. There's been too much of saying, I already know what the end is going to be. They now need to investigate it, because they have to do it as a jury. And after that investigation motion, they must decide yes or no and go to a vote. Politics be damned on this. Even if somewhere weak easier could affect the election, that's not what this is about. This is about accountability and transparency, where everyone in public office should be willing to account for themselves. Partisanship, though, clearly will play a role. Uh, everyone's going to get into their respective trenches and then fight it out, basically. What would you do to change that nature of our current political discourse to end this trench warfare? I would make sure that that very first day, as President of the United States, that the actions I would take would represent how I am going to be that it is people above party, above self, above any special interest. So I'd hold a town hall that very first day in the middle of America. I'll stay there two, three, four, five hours if necessary to try to answer as many questions as I will every two weeks. Then I'm going to fly over to the Paris Accord, <laughs> to climate change for the Paris Accord, to convene the world, to say, we've got to do better than this, we're not going to make it because it's all of us together or not. And on the way back, I'll announce training for a lifetime for 65% of Americans who don't have college degrees, but we spend less than any developed nation on training and retrain. That's not what we do in the military. If you lose your job because the F-15 goes away, we retrain you in the F-22. And we don't do that when a coal miner is kicked out of their job, for example. Who retrains them? And we spend less than anyone on that. And then I'll walk into a gun show. I'll ask, hopefully, Ollie North, former president of the NRA, to walk with me. And we may disagree about uh, one issue, which assault weapons, or maybe background checks, or other things like that. But we don't disagree that they're fine Americans who want to have a gun to hunt or to pistol. But I want to walk in there to say, you're Americans, and I understand why you want your guns for hunting and other reasons, much like I invited anybody as a Navy captain who had a gun to come aboard my ship with their gun when we deployed to the Middle East. And in the Persian Gulf, I'd let them practice on a silhouette at sea as I told a deer on a sled on Sunday afternoon. And then I'll walk into a mosque. And I'll say, I have served with those of the Muslim faith. Thank you for being here. And then I'll go to a Native American reservation. Because 5,000 missing American, Native American women disappear or are murdered every year. 5,000. Why isn't that front page news? And we don't know why. I want to make sure, like the good captain of a ship, you're only as strong as the weakest link in a chain. And if one of those change, whether it's Muslim, the Muslim faith or Native American is weak, we are not as strong in that chain. And when a crew is together, a crew of a ship under United Captain can do anything it has to do. That's why I'm running. 
I've got a question as we wrap up here. How does one get to be an admiral? Obviously, you're an <laughs> officer, but then it's a competition to get to that tippy top of the pinnacle there. How did you do that? Well, I don't know if, if my daughter was right who kidded me one time and said, hey, did everybody else just retire? <laughs> but, uh, well, we were kidding about back and forth. Look, I, I didn't expect it to make it happen. In fact, someone who's an admiral told me after I selected, Joe, we just didn't expect it, you know, because I, yeah, yeah. But I think it was truly just hard work. Um, yeah, I had the, uh, the ship with one of the, you know, the Battenberg Cup for surface ships is the best around, but that wasn't it. I honestly do believe that we had an outperformed ships because I trusted my crew. Example, an FFG, very small ship, guided missile, is not meant to shoot down an Exocet missile. The ones that come low over water from 30 miles away, you don't see it till it's 12 miles away because it's only five or 10 feet above the surface of the earth, your radar can't pick it up. But Aegis cruisers shoot up missiles like this and come down and their radar is so tight they can see it 22 miles away. They bring ships down every year to test it against that missile. It basically runs out of gas before it hits you. So we were the fifth, the sixth ship after 25 missiles had been fired that had never been able to shoot it down. So what I said to the crew was, I'm going to buy you a software program, and we're going to simulate it, and whoever is the best will be able to do it. A young enlisted, not the chief petty officer, who was wonderful, was the best at doing this. So we got down there, and the first of five missiles were fired. The Aegis cruiser shot its missile up like this and was coming down. Mine had a goal just like this as it broke the horizon. And we watched it, on, we had a TV going out, and watched it, and boom, that missile hit that ship first. Ours did. From that moment on, my crew understood they could be all they could be. And I think it was that type of knowing that your reach can exceed your grasp. That actually is what I think permeated among those that, yeah, I would ask a lot because at the end of the day, they were going to defend our freedom. And I wanted you to come home at the same time. I think it was that type of atmosphere that made a difference. It wasn't the accolades that, hey, they had to create a, an award for us because no one had done it. But at the end of it, they said, because they wanted a different new type of ship, this doesn't mean most FFGs could do it. You know, we're going to need a new ship. But you know, it was that, not the accolade, that the crew themselves, the people, did it. One last people question. I guess I'm military nerding out here. Um, if you wake up in the uh, morning and someone told you, you need to raise a Navy, uh, slate's clean, what coastal American city or town are you going to define your officer corps and your sailors? You mean if everything is gone and I had they one say, place? Admiral Sestak, you need to find a, one coastal town or city in America to find your crew. Where are you going? To take them out of a crew. Oh, and to notice to go find your sailors. To go, go find my sailors. Only one. Yeah. Oh, well, um, I have to tell you, it would probably be where I had commanded my first ship. Uh, and this is a little parochial because it was my first love, so to speak, in the Navy that I commanded, and it was Newport, Rhode Island. Because most of those who asked to go there were Rhode Islanders on that ship. And it was also because my father served on a ship there, the USS Yosemite. And back then, there was sometimes four or five hundred ships, if you look at times, you know, to 300, 200, and there was only five when I got there. But again, it was the history of my father there, but it was my crew which shot down that missile that I mentioned a little earlier that I had. Does that mean? All Americans aren't great. My gosh, come aboard an aircraft carrier. Their average age of the 5,000 sailors is 19 and a half. They're all fantastic. We don't care if you're Muslim or from Milwaukee. We don't care where you're from. We mold them together. But 
That moment on that ship was the best in my naval career. I love the crew. All right, Admiral Sestak, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.